With Kickstarter, I hit, I put a modest funding goal of $10,000 and I hit that like on day two. At Founder, we're on a mission to democratize entrepreneurial education and on our way to building one of the largest online schools in the world for entrepreneurs. We interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it so you can too. However, in this series, we're doing things a little differently. We're working with our own students in our community who are deep within the process of building our own successful business. These are the founders of tomorrow who've stood where you are and are on the way to building the business of their dreams. Now, before we jump in, our lawyers have told us to tell you this. Of course, we can't guarantee you'll have the results like some of our stories are about to share in this show. And as you know, with any business, it's a lot of hard work in addition to completing any online course. And with that said, welcome to From Zero to Founder. Molly here. I'm the community manager for Founder Magazine and welcome to the series From Zero to Founder. I'm sitting down with one of our Start and Scale students, Samantha, who has gone from zero to 10K in Kickstarter funding in just two days. It's an incredible story, so let's just jump in. Hi, Samantha. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and chat with me today. Let's just get straight into it. So why not tell me a little bit about yourself, your business and where you're located? So my name is Samantha Pereira and I'm in London, England. And at the moment, I, or rather, I recently launched a new product business, which is focused on um, finding sustainable essentials. So we're reimagining everyday essentials with sustainable alternatives. So think, you know, your toilet paper, your kitchen paper towel, think, um, you know, just anything really like your kitchen sponge, that sort of thing. And um I did a brief pre-launch towards the end of last year and currently, so I'm, uh, you know, you can consider me in the early stages of um, the, the journey, if you like. Amazing. And prior to, you know, creating this brand, what were you doing beforehand? So I've been, I would say, I'm not sure what's the right word, but I've been in and out of my career in between children so since, since um, you know, I, I joined or rather I became aware of Nathan and founder, gosh, I think when I had my first child and now I have my third child, it's like eight years, I think now, or 10 years probably. And in that time, I was doubling in and out of work in between children. And so I was testing out products. And what was great was the frameworks that um, Nathan had just made it easy to just go through um, the modules, to test them out. And it was just really easy. And and the videos were not very long, so they were very bite-sized, which was very helpful for someone who doesn't really have a lot of time because you have a young family. And yes, and prior to that, I was in banking. So I was in investment banking doing lots of analysis on risk and returns for our clients. Beautiful. And you mentioned investment banking. How long were you doing that? And what kind of was the pull towards wanting to start your own e-commerce journey? So, so it's largely to do with trying to fit it around my family needs. I've been, I tried to go back into banking and it's, it's just a very full on career and it's either you're in or, you know, you can't, I, I suppose a lot of people do it, but they do it with help, right? And 
I just had a son who needed a bit more of my attention for, for different reasons, like his health, etc. So I, I just find it hard to leave him with someone else. And therefore I had to try and make my life work. And I thought running a business or running a startup would, would fit around that. So um, hence why I made the switch and I definitely don't regret it. I've, I've, I think I've grown in so many different ways um, running a startup and running a business because it challenges you, especially your mindset and, you know, building sales and building brand awareness, so many different things. And I guess you will get to a point where you, you just know, right, this is the right thing and I'm going to take it further. But really my family is the reason why I make changes. Which is so lovely to have that motivator behind actually wanting to become an entrepreneur and starting your own business. But I guess you said how people in the past or, you know, as a learning curve, you make mistakes, which it comes just with the process. But I guess what really stood out to you about Greta's course and Founders Start and Scale course in particular? I think what stood out for me was the fact that Greta has done it before. So it's not just someone, you know, kind of just telling you what to do without really having done it themselves. She's been there, she's done it, she's made mistakes, she shared them very openly. I think the one that stuck in my mind um, in all those times, she, she, you know, the Facebook Lives and stuff is when she bought, I think, a million Aussie dollars worth of tea and then it all just went, I think I think it, it was all just spoiled, so she, she couldn't use it. So she lost like a million dollars. <laughs> which was, you know, it was just, she was just sharing all her mistakes and her successes and just being very open and honest. So I think, you know, the fact that the course is created by someone who successfully ran a business made a huge difference. And also just the way in which it was broken down, it was just easy to follow. So um, from that regard, it it just makes it easy. And, And I think, you know, everyone's different so you take what you want from it and then you go and make it your own because everyone's got their own idea and everyone's product is different some some products will just fly off the roof I suppose with certain areas and some might just take a bit longer and it's all about that learning process which I think is great that you can kind of take that and adapt it to so many different products or you know niches in particular but you mentioned you have a brand that focuses on sustainable essentials what is that business name? Something organic. Something organic. Amazing. And how long have you been working on something organic? So I have been working on something organic for more than 12 months, 12 to 18 months. And I was just in the background, you know, there's a lot of research that goes on in the background before you decide to launch. And and so that process took a while because I needed to find reliable manufacturers and as I was about to launch and, you know, COVID happened. So I was actually going to visit these factories to make sure they are legit and, you know, they are who they are. But that made it difficult. So I was in a predicament whether I should even launch or do I wait. But I made the decision to write just, you know, it was a risk I was willing to take. Um, I, I launched the business without having visited the factory, but did a lot of video calls to make sure that we were on the same page and, you know, quality issues because I had to buy a very large amount considering it, it was a tiny product. So they wanted me to, you, you just had to buy in slightly larger volumes. And that's something that, you know, Reddit says always buying small volumes, but in this instance, this particular product, you just couldn't do that. But anyway, um, because it's an everyday essential, 
people need it all the time and there is no specific expiry date and so and it's also non-seasonal so on, from that regard i was fairly comfortable that i could definitely shift the product and yeah kind of just tick it on so yeah perfect and what was the first product that you launched with in your um i guess sustainable essential range or did you launch with multiple different products i decided to do one first so it's bamboo toilet paper and it largely came about from my own challenges really so about I guess I could say two and a half years ago, um, my middle son, he's, he's very, very cheeky. So he's, he's sort of like the inventor in the house. He's always doing something, creating something. And when he was four, he just loved flushing all the loo rolls down the toilet. It was so frustrating. So it was in one of those moments where I had to, you know, because he pretty much clogged the toilet. <laughs> Um, you know, kind of digging that out. I thought there must be, you know, I just felt so bad about all this waste. And you know, unfortunately, children do create waste. And I thought there must be something out there that is a little bit more sustainable. So that sort of just spurred me on to do my research. And one thing led to another. And I realized, you know, you have bamboo, which is a very renewable product. And I was already aware of bamboo as a source from the previous product that I tried to launch, which I did launch, which was um, compression leggings, but I couldn't make bamboo work for the technicality around it, but it was always at the back of my mind. So I thought, oh, this would be a really good um, solution. And then I realized at that point, there was just very few market players. So I thought, oh, this is a great opportunity to jump in. But as always, life has different, you know, you, you plan to launch like A and then, you know, I had to move homes and stuff. So I thought, oh, once I finish moving, I'll launch it. But that didn't happen because then COVID happened. So it was just one thing after another. But I think, you know, that's that's the life of an entrepreneur, right? There's always things and it's how you manage it and, you know, the perseverance to just keep going, really. So, yes, that's kind of how, you know, that's my first product, Bamboo Toilet Paper. But the idea around the business is about, you know, we, we make sustainable essentials that um, are affordable and effortless so that helps elevate your lifestyle and also reduce your impact on mother earth so that's pretty much how i thought about it because there's so many things in your everyday life you're so busy you just go to the supermarket you pick up like you know a kitchen sponge if you're a parent right or even if you're not i'm not sure if you do the shopping but someone does so but you know the, the main target market are parents in this case so you know you go and pick up your you know like a cotton bud or like a cocktail um sticks kind of thing you know the cocktail picks and whatnot so there's all these different essentials that actually you can find really good sustainable alternatives you don't really have to chop down trees because um paper is one of the largest polluters in the currently and that comes from trees so if we can find a good um, substitute for it so then it reduces the reliance on forest because forest takes about 30 to 80 years to grow whereas bamboo and other types of plants take a much shorter time so bamboo takes only about three to five years um, and i thought you know why not start creating an awareness around this and also start offering this because there's a lot of people now and also given that the younger generation are a lot more aware. So they get a lot of, you know, they, they get a lot of awareness from school and they come back and they talk about it. 
And therefore, as parents, you want to be able to set a good example as well. And also, you know, as parents, you want to do more, but you're so busy. So you'd rather support a company that's doing good. And that's how this whole thing came about, really. And, you know, I know you asked me what was my first product. I kind of just went on. No, I find that very interesting because it is true. Like sometimes it takes, um, I guess, an experience like your son flushing all that toilet paper for you to be like, oh, okay, this is a great idea. I know how to market it, especially being a mum yourself and knowing that that's something that, you know, it might be on the, the minds of other mothers. I think it's great. But you did kind of briefly touch upon um, your compression leggings, which we will get into because that is another story in its own that we spoke um, about with you in the past, which I think is really great. Mm. But um, going back to your toilet paper and your Something Organic brand, how was the manufacturing mm. process? You mentioned how you wanted to try and visit these different manufacturers. How did you actually mm. source one? Because I know that that can be an issue for a lot of young entrepreneurs. So one of the easiest resources they can use is Alibaba.com. Um, and they, you know, Mr. Ma has developed a really good platform that connects buyers with producers or wholesalers. So it's just really being meticulous and finding um, really good supplies from there, reaching out to them, having chats, and also just good old um, Google research. And if you have local contacts in China, you know, if you have friends or what, you know, you can reach out. But most of the time, because it's so scattered, unless, you you know, you have all these different people that work specifically sourcing things and you have those type of people, then yes. But I didn't have any of those. I just kind of did good old research and started reaching out. But I should say, now that we have Clubhouse, which is a new audio platform, you know, it's a great place to connect, even trying to find supplies. I was just talking to another um, another startup business and she was pivoting um, from one to another. I mean, she sells really beautiful baby blankets, but now she wants to add, I shouldn't say pivoting, she wants to add um, women's wear collection to it as well. And she said she found her supplier on Clubhouse just by talking and joining these different rooms. So I think, you know, Clubhouse is another really good resource to use for for entrepreneurs who are thinking in terms, you know, how do I find out? I think that's like a really good resource there. I agree. And it's and it's exciting because there are so many new apps that are in development or being created that can leverage and, and really help entrepreneurs. And I think that's great that you just mentioned that because that's such a tip that people can take away, especially if they're mm-hmm. invited to that app. Um, so yeah. after your manufacturing process, you would have had to have gone on to branding and, you know, you mentioned pre-launch. How did you actually come up with how you wanted to, um, I guess, ship your product and how you want it to be packed being environmentally conscious? So I wanted to remove single-use plastic because the other thing that most to- supermarket toilet paper have is plastic and single-use plastic is the other biggest polluter at the moment and there is a stat that says if we do nothing by 2050, you're going to have more plastic in the ocean than fishes. So, you know, just thinking about that, it's quite staggering. And a lot of the times we think it's such a big problem. I probably can't make a difference, but actually you can by just making small changes by changing what you buy. And that's really how I thought about this. And if you can encourage people to just change one small habit, it's really going to have a huge impact in the long run And that's how I thought about packaging. So I removed single-use plastic and made sure it was made from cardboard and also a a mixture of recycled paper so that we are using as much as recycled element as possible. Given that the 
the product that I had required a warehouse. So I had to use a, I didn't have a choice, but I had to use a third party um, logistics provider. So someone that will pack and post it. But if I was, you know, but for my first product, I didn't do that. I just packed it and posted it myself. I found um, a third party warehouse and said, hey, can I, you know, because they usually have really good shipping rates. And I was shipping, you know, like I was shipping across the globe, if you like, you know, across Europe and, and US and Asia. So they had really good rates. And what I did was I, I used them for their rates and I kind of packed everything myself. And then they just sent a van and I just stuck it all in the van and it kind of goes off. So, you know, I, I think if you're starting out, always find like cost effective ways to, to, to do things because, um, you know, you're in your early stages, you're, you know, if you're testing things out, especially if it's your first business as well, you're going to not know a lot of things like the unknown unknown. So it's best to kind of just, you know, just go for it, make your mistakes, learn and do as much as you can on your own, unless, um, you know, you know what you need to do because then you will learn the process. And then the next time when you do it again, you'll just, Oh yeah, I know that. I think that's too cumbersome for me. I'm, I'm going to need some help or, you know, kind of looking at your margins as well and see how that can accommodate, um, you know, the cost because everything is a cost, right? Like fulfillment is a cost, but it's a cost I have to, I have to take on at the moment. And I know the more I sell, then, you know, it kind of will all even out, but, also, I guess, keeping in mind, you know, a lot of the times you want to make profit on day one and sometimes just being comfortable that it may not be the case. So, so yes, I guess those are the few things. That's great advice. And I, I do agree with you that, you know, you have to kind of spend money to make money, I guess, which is really, really interesting. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of people appreciate hearing your side of the story in particular, but let's move on to talking about your pre-launch strategy. So, in terms of marketing, how did you go about marketing something organic? What I did was I decided to test out using Kickstarter and I did use Kickstarter previously. So I tested out using Kickstarter and why I like Kickstarter is because it already has an inbuilt risk factor into it, meaning the customers or the potential people that back you they are well aware that you're a startup and, you know, things can take longer than usual, etc. So that was largely the reason why I went because I was, I was doing a pre-order and one of the things people do get upset about is, Hey, where's my order? And then they get really angry, right? Where else with Kickstarter, they just, um, there is this built-in awareness, but having said that I did have a bunch of customers um, from the UK who were not familiar with Kickstarter. So they were not familiar with the longer lead period or if this changes. And it was also a process of education, but thankfully um, they all stayed on, like they didn't drop off. I also had a, in between, like a little bit of a competitor trying to get me to to not use my, my name, my brand name and stuff like that. But, um, you know, that's, didn't deter me, you know, in the end, I kind of just moved on, moved along anyway. So in terms of pre-launched, I used Kickstarter, but, in, but also I did um, use paid traffic to drive, to build up the subscriber list. Because I think, you know, if you have a subscriber list, which you write to and make them aware of, and when you launch, you're going to, 
you're going to have a group of ready subscribers who are likely to convert instead of just, you know, waiting and hoping something's going to happen. So I think, you know, that strategy works and it has worked all the time for lots of people. So I think that's a good strategy to adopt if you are a new entrepreneur. Thank you so much for sharing. And I would love to dig a little bit deeper. In terms of Kickstarter, I know, as you mentioned, some people might not be aware of it. And basically, it's a uh, platform that helps you kind of raise uh, funds through, I guess, almost like backers and investors. How long did you have your Kickstarter campaign live for? And how much money did you end up generating for something organic? With Kickstarter, um, I, I was only there for like 30 days. But because I had this competitor um, who's trying to stop me from using my brand, etc., then you kind of went falsely raised an alarm with um, Kickstarter saying that I'm infringing on his trademark when I had my own trademark. So then Kickstarter had to put everything on hold and, and it seemed like he had leveraged over Kickstarter just because he raised the complaint. But even though I did nothing wrong, so then Kickstarter had no choice because there was nothing wrong. So even though they paused my project, they had to make it live again, whereas he was trying to stop them. So in the end, it went live, whether he liked it or not. But but what that does to a Kickstarter campaign, because Kickstarter is all about your algorithm and your momentum. So I hit, I put a modest um, funding goal of $10,000 and I hit that like on day two. So it was on day two that this this competitor raised, um, you know, a false alarm. And obviously, you know, when your project goes on hold, it doesn't actually go on hold. They just hide it, but then the algorithm keeps going on. So the algorithm thing is that, oh, no one's coming to your campaign. So it kind of keeps dropping you off. And to bring it back up again, you're going to have to to, to use a lot of paid um, traffic. And when it came back up again, I wasn't willing to, to, to spend all that money just to bring it up again. But what I did was I just stuck with um, the modest funding goal that I had. And I thought that's, that's good enough. I'm, I'm just going to keep it as it is because I have a very grumpy person trying to, to just, you know, make life a bit miserable. So I'm not going to put more marketing spend. What I was going to do is once I launch my website, I was just going to put all my marketing spend there. So from that regard, I had a very ambitious goal, but I, you know, this is what, this is it, right? Like with entrepreneurship and startups, you always think you're going to do X and you never know what's going to happen along the way. And then, you know, you just have to realign and pivot as you go along. So I, I just raised a modest 10 grand. Yes. And then I launched onto my website. So I'm kind of just pushing everything to my website now. Hey there, Nathan Chan here, CEO and publisher of Founder Magazine. If you're enjoying From Zero to Founder and you want to learn from some of the greatest entrepreneurs of our generation, then I highly recommend you also subscribe and check out the Founder Podcast. We talk to some of the most successful people on the planet to discover how they're building their businesses. So you can take a front row seat as we go deep and we learn from some of the founders of brands like Netflix, Dropbox, Reebok, and so many more, and how they built these companies. You can find the Founder Magazine podcast with Nathan Chan on all podcast platforms. Make sure you subscribe. All right, now let's get back into the show. 10K in two days is incredible though, and it's definitely no small feat. But I guess you mentioned how um, you have been using paid traffic as well and growing your subscriber list. Would you like to walk me through how you actually did that in terms of the numbers that you were able to get onto your subscriber list? 
So I used Facebook ads to, to run, um, to raise traffic to my, so I created a landing page saying, Hey, we're launching soon, you know, sign up to our list and get a pretty, pretty decent discount. So I think I said like 20% or 25% to entice them. So I think that was a really good offer because I had about 2,800 people sign up or 3,000 people sign up. But the thing with these things is, um, you know, a lot of people sign up and then they go quiet, right? Because you think 3,000 people sign up, they're all going to buy. Not all of them are going to buy. But it was a pretty decent list to, to be able to achieve a good um, raise or rather a good number of orders on day one, day two. So, so that's really what I did in a nutshell. And with pre-launch, you just mentioned there quickly with your numbers and you did quite well. Would you like to delve a bit deeper into that in terms of how successful your pre-launch phase actually was for your business? So it was good. So I had about like 10% conversion or whatever it is, you know, like um, about, I can't remember now, like five to 10% or something like that of the list converted. And I think that was a fairly decent stat. Uh, and I would say, you know, that's a pretty decent conversion. And, and what I should have done better is even though when I had all these challenges to continually communicate, but I just sort of went a bit silent, which was, you know, it's a learning for me to take on as I move forward next time. But um, yeah, so I could have used my list a lot more, like communicate with them and talk to them and say all these things and, and not worry about, there was just so many things going on anyway. So I, I just sort of like that became, you know, low in priority, which is wrong. So in hindsight, that is a learning for me. But overall, I think coming back to the pre-launch and the numbers, yeah, I, I think 5 to 10%. And that's really what I hit because I remember like, you know, I had a pretty good day one because of the, the email list. And, and then if you keep priming them and, you know, I think with emails, you just give them deadlines and, um, you know, like expiry did, you know, like deadlines, like, Hey, this 20% offer is, is only going to be for the next 24, 48 hours. Then it kind of just urges people to take attention, um, to take action. Otherwise they go, like, Oh, I'll do it tomorrow or the day after. And then they forget. So you really need to push people. And, um, you know, it's a combination of just writing, writing to them regularly and also, um, you know, just giving deadlines. So like just the week before launch, I, I was writing to them, I think about twice or three times to say, hey, we're launching, I don't know, like 72 hours, 48 hours, 24 hours, and then, hey, we are live. So that, that really helped because when I went live, then you know, the numbers were just coming in. Perfect. And I think that's a great example of um, some really great email marketing tactics in terms of not spamming, but just letting them know that you are actually launching. And I guess from your experience um, with other brands that you may have invested time into and you've done a launch before with other products, did you have a revenue Mm. goal for your launch and did you hit that? So the revenue goal for this particular one with, with my pre-launch, I, I did not hit it just because, you know, I had those challenges and I was aware of that. So I was happy with the minimum goal that I reached. I think that was a good start. And, you know, right now I'm just kind of working towards that in, in my live phase, if you like. But with my previous product launch, I did not have when I said, you know, I have a funding goal, I, you know, the minimum funding goal that I put was, right, this is the amount I need 
to pay these the factory to make the leggings. So if I hit that, I'll be happy. And I I think I hit like three times that amount or four times that amount. So it was pretty decent. And I think also different products, um, people react to different products differently. And it's also neat space. Like for example, the compression leggings, I still do get some people um, reaching out for whatever reason, like some of them, whether they rejected the order or whatever, and they wanted to change up size, etc. Like till today, I still get these customers coming back. And I know that it's a really good area, but for me, it was just, you know, it was fashion and I tested it out as a, as a way for me to see, okay, right. I want to create products at that time. You know, again, it was a need for myself. I was like gaining weight, losing weight, gaining weight, losing weight. So I was trying to find a way. How do you go? You know, we all have this, I think once you become a parent as a mom, you go through this identity, not identity crisis, but you do feel it that way because, you know, you're not your old self, you're, you're this new self, you're, you're bigger than you what you were, but you still want to feel great and all that stuff kind of, you know, plays in your mind. And I thought, I just want to feel great regardless. And, and there's this Asian tradition that does belly wrapping post-maternity. And I thought, you know, if you don't want to belly wrap, what's an alternative to that? And then I came across compression and I realized it mimicked the same thing. And I thought, oh yeah, you could make compression leggings. But, but because it was such a technical product, it took such a long time to get right. And, um, and people love it. And I think, you know, it has a really strong market. It's just, for me, I found the whole manufacturing process challenging and I thought, and I needed to get a lot of experts in, in between, which then I thought, you know what, moving forward, I'll always be at the mercy of different people because of these. And so I want to be in control of the products. And, and that's how I, you know, I sort of iterated towards essentials because those are things you need every day. It doesn't have massive amounts of technicality around it. You can control the process. Um, and what I mean by control the process is, you know, with leggings, you need to get like a designer to design it in a specific way. You need to get your spec right. If you get it wrong, then the, the manufacturer produces it wrongly. And then it takes them three months just to make it again. Everything is like three months. And before you know, it's like a year's gone. You know, so everything is just such a long turnover period as well. So you need to really love fashion to do that and I think I loved it for what I wanted to achieve out of it but as a growing business I just found it to be it wasn't an area that um you know I, I could just feel like a mental block so I thought you know what I'm in this business to really one make money but to also enjoy what I'm doing whilst I really enjoyed developing the process but um but it's definitely a product at the back of my mind now that I've done essentials here I'm thinking you know, maybe since a lot of people are still coming back and asking me about it, I might maybe do like a Kickstarter style, like, hey, I might be doing this second pre-order if you really fancy, um, if you really like the first round, then, you know, you can get your second round this way. More, more so like, you know, to, to gauge interest again, because if people really like it, then great. If not, there's no one producing leggings that people don't want. And I know just from our previous chats that we've had, your original Kickstarter campaign for Invisibelly went really well. And you hit, was it a 60K goal? Um, I think it was 60 Aussie dollars. Yeah, something like that. Yes. Which is quite incredible. And I think, you know, touching upon how you might want to resurrect, I guess, that brand, 
how would you go or what advice would you give um, to entrepreneurs listening about how to kind of juggle almost having two e-commerce stores? I would do it just one at a time. Like for me right now, I'm just focusing one at a time just because I have a a young family and, and they take up a lot of time. But if I didn't, then it's all about compartmentalizing it. If your audiences are similar, then, you know, one of the things that, you know, when you're running e-commerce business, it's all about communication, right? It's all about communicating, hey, buy this product, why you want to buy this product. And if the audience that you're reaching to is the same, then the way you write the messages is going to be fairly similar. So then it won't be so much of a, oh, right, I have to shut my mind now and now go to that. It's going to be, right, I'm just talking about this, now I'm talking about this product, and I'm talking to the same people, now I'm talking about that product. So it's not too much of a deviation. So if you find something that, you know, that can come together that way, it would make it easier. But I would always say do one thing, do one thing well. But again, I know a few people who have done multiple and they've done really well. I think it's all about managing your time effectively. It all Because if you're very disciplined with your time, you can totally do it. Which is incredible advice. And I do agree with you. I think it's all about mindset as well. And as you mentioned, compartmentalizing, which is great. Jumping back to your Something Organic brand, you mentioned how you kind of focus on paid advertisement and Facebook ads. Is that the only channel that you use to promote this brand or do you also use Instagram and Facebook um, page? Facebook advertising does include Instagram and the Facebook page. So it all encompasses that. But I'm also now looking at TikTok as an alternative source because, you know, it's a fairly new platform. And when the platform is fairly new, the cost of advertising is low. So it's a good time for startup brands if you want to test an audience. And also, you know, you would all, I would say, you know, you want to diversify your traffic as in you don't want to just be wholly reliant on Facebook because if that goes down then what's going to happen right so you want to test out different channels I know some people you know if you've done or if you understand Facebook well then it's okay for you to go and test out YouTube or test out TikTok I mean having looked at the TikTok backend it's not that different to Facebook but if you've never done Facebook before, then I would say just focus on one first and then build up the other. But in my case, I'm testing out all the different. So, you know, I've just started Facebook. Now I'm looking at TikTok and then YouTube and then Pinterest. Great insights. And from your um, launch of your product, I'm assuming that you would have some user-generated content or any influencer-generated mm-hmm. content. Is that the type of like creatives you use in your paid advertisement? Yes, it's a combination. So I'm using the user-generated content. Like some, I'm waiting on some of the video reviews. I've had a lot of written reviews. Video reviews are slightly harder to come by because I think people are just a bit more conscious. They say, yes, 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 we'll do it, we'll do it. And then um, they don't. So there are a few of them who have done it. So I'm, I'm waiting on, on those. I, The one that came back most recently, I've, I've tested it out so I'm testing it out right now with Facebook so it's a combination really user generated plus just images that you know studio shots that I've taken but what I've what I've done is I've mixed them up and um, with the customers images so the ones that I've gotten from customers and just kind of put them in like a slideshow so it kind of just alternates and you see different I think that works and also just creating some text-based ones, like um, not text-based, but 
um, like stock images, but talking about, say, for example, we talk about um, plastic pollution. So kind of just showing the sea and saying, this is where your plastic ends up, that sort of thing. And I think it's just, because when you're a startup, it's all about brand awareness. So you're educating them. And, and I'm just testing out different creatives as well. Because I think at the end of the day, the creative makes a difference. Um, you know, you, you've got to test so many different things. And I'm now testing out the whole educational creative. So I talk about um, deforestation as uh, one of the biggest polluters. And hey, we thought about something. We thought about you know, we want to do something about that. And that's why we came up with a renewable um, resource for toilet paper because it's one of the major polluters. So that sort of creative. And then we talk about the plastic pollution and what's happening. So we're just testing out different things to see what works. And then you just, yeah, it's all about testing really. I don't think, I think some people, when they launch ads, they think it's just going to work straight away. But as with anything, you have to just test and, and tweak all the time. I agree. And with the success from your Facebook ads and your paid ads advertising, sorry, do you find that that's helped you um, create more, I guess, SKUs or, or products for your brand? And how many products are you sitting at now for something organic? I only have one right now because I just launched it, but I do have a few more, a few in, in the pipeline. But I'm only going to launch that later on this year because the cost of sea freight at the moment is quite high. So I don't want to ship anything just yet until the prices sort of come down. I mean, I think in January, the, the for example, like the price of a container just went up tenfold. Say if you used to pay two grand, you had to pay like nearly 10 to 12 grand which was ridiculous because, you know, if you're a startup brand, there goes all your profit margin, you know, it's done. So, um, you know, I'm hoping like the prices, now the price has come down a little bit. So like, I think it's come down to seven grand or something. I'm just waiting for it to come down lower. I'm hoping it will, because otherwise I can't see how it can be sustainable for, for small businesses really to, to get anything out of, because um, I, because China's at the, currently where, um, it, they are the largest producers of bamboo and, you know, you have FSE certified farms there. So it's being produced for production. And also one of the challenges with supply chain is knowing that the source that you're using is, is not taking away something else. Um, so for example, like the bamboo that you're using, it's, it wasn't gazetted for like the, the pandas or, or just as a natural addition to biodiversity where you're not supposed to touch it, that sort of thing. So when you have all these different certifications, that's the best that you can do at the moment to know that, um, you know, because they are an international certification like the FSC, the forest um, certification then you know that, uh, you know, the factory has done the necessary checks that they needed to do or they have the necessary certifications to say, you know what, they are using a, they are, they are using a source that has been responsibly um, sourced. And it just, you know, it's not like illegal logging or taking away someone else's habitat, that sort of thing. There's some great insights that I'm glad you shared because a lot of people listening might actually, you know, um, be weighing up the options with, you know, sea freight versus air freight and things like that. And I guess in a COVID world, it can be almost a little bit difficult and have those unexpected, I guess, delays as well when trying to launch. What would be your best piece of advice to someone that might be wanting to start 
a business now but might be deterred because of, you know, the COVID climate that is in the world right now? I think you should just go for it. What you do is know that, um, you know, whenever you start, it's all about testing. So if you can start with a really small, like the smallest amount that you can order from a supplier or factory, do that. And the reason we chose C freight is because it's a more, you know, it's environmentally more friendlier way compared to air freight. And, um, you know, if those things matter to you, then look at those options. If not, air freight is a quicker option. I think air freight is always going to be there. It's not going to, you know, it's not going to go away. But, you know, one thing we would hope is if the aviation industry can make things better. But, you know, everything just takes time with more awareness and education. So someone who's starting out, I would say start small. Don't be deterred because things are still going ahead, but just check, you know, you you just got to check regularly what's happening and prices, especially around shipping. It changes almost daily. So you you just want to keep tabs on that and find reliable um, freight forwarders that, that can offer you good prices, but also offer good quality where you know that, you know, they they don't say x and then when you get the bill it's like x times three or whatever so you so i think the key is also now doing your research finding good suppliers finding good freight forwarders to help you and and so when you're ready to launch then you have all these things in place because it takes a lot longer than you actually think it does and so you know i always say just start early do your research start reaching out to people start talking about it and also get comfortable talking about the stuff that you want to do because if you're not comfortable talking about it then how are you going to sell it right so you know like now when people ask me what to do i say i I mean my kids are the biggest advocates right they just say oh yeah she sells toilet paper i'm like yes i'm a toilet paper entrepreneur now (laughs) which is so exciting i think yeah I think it's great that they support you no matter what you do, which is really special. And that is great advice for anyone that wants to maybe get into the entrepreneurial space. But working towards wrapping things up, where would you say your business is at now? Because when did you actually officially launch Something Organic? So I officially launched it end of January. So I did the pre-launch end of last year and, you know, waiting for the stock, et cetera, and delays with COVID, et cetera. So the stock only came in mid-Jan, mid so by the time I got everything sorted, I could make, you know, the website went live end of January. So I've been trading just about um, a month and a half or thereabouts. And it's been good so far. I've had, um, you know, organic traffic coming through and people joining the subscription, which is really what I want them to do. I've been, you know, I think as a new brand, you want to also start building up the reviews because that's how we all do our research on based on reviews and that's why Amazon is, is so successful because they have tons of reviews that, that you can go and see, which, you know, helps you decide, I suppose, if you don't know what you're looking for. And I think with new products or new categories such as this, it's not something that people use all the time. It's so important to have customer experiences and, you know, and I think the one thing to keep in mind is it's okay if a customer doesn't like it. And even if they write, um, give you a feedback. And I think it's important to leave it on the website, unless it's, if it's really disparaging, then, you know, you take a business decision on that. 
But if they talk about, oh, you know, the sheets are a bit smaller than what I would typically expect or that sort of thing, I think that's okay because that's what it is and they're just sharing their experience of using it because when when you leave it, I mean, you know, when when you have a diverse views of reviews, people are going to trust you more than you just having awesome, great, this is a great product. Then it sounds so fake, then you might think like, they must have asked their friends to write it or something. So, you know, I think be comfortable with the kind of feedback you come back because I had like a lot of different feedback and, you know, they have like the positives and then they also go into, oh, I wish this was a bit better. Like a lot of people like the packaging. Then I had a couple of them go like, oh, but it's not as pretty as the ones I have right now. But, you know, it doesn't matter. I'll still buy from you. So I think that's really good feedback because then that makes you think, okay, for the next round, I need to rethink about the packaging to make it appealing to, to, to more people. So, you know, make it as, I guess, neutral in a way that anyone looks at it will be like, oh yeah, I like that. Because again, I did an MVP, like a minimum viable product version. I just, I didn't get a designer to design my packaging. I just went and got like a stock image and I kind of put it all together to make it fun. I just want to make it fun that when people look at it, when people look at it, they go like, oh yeah, that's, that's interesting. Rather than, oh, that looks dull or whatever, you know? So yes, I think test out as ugly. I say as ugly in a sense, as cheaply as possible. Even my branding, I did it as cost effective as I could. I, I knew what I wanted and I just I wanted it to be like a fun, chirpy brand because we're talking about something that's so boring. So we need to lift it up and make it look fun with bright colors and stuff. So that's the brief I gave this particular designer. But obviously, I'm, you know, I'm looking to, to also upgrade it um, in, in the short term so that it can accommodate future products as well and and um yeah just kind of create a more cohesive brand experience across your emails and in, you know in your socials and your website so that will be the next phase that i'll be working towards which is very exciting and thank you so much for that a very very valuable insight but lastly, I guess when talking about this brand, it is so new and you have had success with other ideas such as Invisibelly, which is amazing. And you might go back to that, which I think is incredible as well. What is the next goal for you with something organic? Is it launching a new product or is it a particular or an exact revenue goal that you have for the next month? So what I'm doing right now is actually I'm doing an equity fundraising round. I'm working towards it because I want to grow this business and grow it. I say grow it quickly, but grow it in a way that, you know, I'm just, I've got all the firepower I can to grow it consistently and quickly and also add more products because products take capital and also marketing takes, um, you know, investment. So I figured that, um, trying to do the fundraising round would be, um, would be a good path to follow. So you need to be comfortable giving up a percentage of your business. But again, I think, you know, fundraising is also another challenge in itself. And if you read about it, you know, like access to funding for females, it's like, you know, if, if say for, for a pound, the guys get 95p and the female founders get 5p, that's been the imbalance in, in funding. So I think now that's a new area of challenge I'm going into and it should be an ex interesting experience. Um, 
the process is very different to like Kickstarter because you have a lot more um, approvals and checks and balances and you also need regulatory approval and that sort of thing. So there's just a lot more involved, but um, I'm excited for it because it's again, a new phase, a new experience. And if you're going to do startups, just go all the way, right? I mean, I, I wish I, I didn't have to do the fundraising way, but since I need the money and also I want to grow quickly and I believe that this brand can achieve that, I'm just going for it. So I don't know, maybe chat in, in six months time and I'll let you know if it was a may. I'm hoping it will be a major success or it could be the other way around and I'll talk about all the lessons that I learned from that. Which is incredible and I love that you're so optimistic because it is such an attitude you need to have in such a competitive environment. But I do want to thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me and talk about both Invisibelly as well as something organic because it is such great insight and I'm sure everyone listening will really appreciate it. So thank you so much, Samantha, and I look forward to seeing where you are in the next six months. All right, not at all. And thank you. And also say hi to Nathan. I will indeed. Have a good day. Hey guys, we hope you're loving From Zero to Founder and you're getting a ton of value from it. If you want access to the exact free training that led today's founder to where they are now, head to founder.com slash e-commerce training or follow the link in the show notes.